behalf of our family, thank you for um, allowing us to serve with you here at Grace. Thank you as well for allowing us to go on vacation, and we appreciated that and uh, missed you guys the last two weeks. I was watching last uh, Sunday on a couch, wishing I could be here, but also glad I was with my family in uh, North Carolina. It's good to be home, and I'm excited about a new year. Today being the first day of the new year, there's no stains on the pages of 2023. If you think back through 2022, we are, um, if you listen to the news, we are um, grieved by war in Asia and Europe. Um, We are saddened by uh, sin that's running rampant and people are being sold into slavery. We are saddened by the laws that are being passed or not passed to protect unborn life. And if you read the newspaper, listen to the news, you can quickly become very discouraged. In my Bible reading this morning, I was a day behind. So I read Revelation today, this morning. And let me tell you, Revelation is an amazing book. If you know and love Jesus Christ. That book starts with the revelation of Jesus Christ and ends with, come quickly. Come start this process that is eliminating sin from the earth and making all things new. We are going to prioritize God's word this, uh, this year as a church. And we'll encourage you as best we can together uh, to study God's Word together. Our last couple years have been uh, praying together, evangelizing together, and making God known together. And then this year, studying God's Word together. I'll tell you how we came up with this theme. Why this theme for this year? Since 2020, we have realized that uh, the church as well as culture of which a church just reflects culture, is very divided, extremely divided, um, fueled by the fires of social media where everybody has their own truth and own opinions. And everyone has to embrace me and never question me or my my opinions. Well, why are we going to study God's Word together in 2023? God's Word is our food. I read or heard of a man who had a New Year's resolution last year at this time, and his New Year's resolution was this, I'm going to lose 10 pounds. Nearly 12 months into his New Year's resolution, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, he has this update. New Year's resolution, lose 10 pounds. Update, as of December, only 15 more to go. So, he went the wrong way. Usually, if you go to the doctor and you want to lose weight, he's going to first question your diet. And this is not the greatest time to talk about food right after we've had holidays of Thanksgiving and then Christmas and New Year's. Um, 
But God's word is our spiritual food. We saw at the beginning of our service, it's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. But God's word has to be our daily, our daily bread. It's our food. Studying God's word as part of our theme is a learned skill. When we are first saved, we don't know how to study God's word. When children grow up in our homes, they don't know naturally how to study God's word. Studying God's Word is a skill that we have to learn, and so as a church, we're going to do this together and learn this skill and hone this skill. And even if you are very learned with how to study God's Word on your own, there's always more to learn. It's like being a master craftsman, and you can always get better, or master artist, or a master chef, or a master mechanic, or a master construction worker. Whatever your master is, there's always room for improvement, and we're going to study God's Word Uh, And we know it's a learned skill. And then together. Together is how the church functions. Last week when I sat on a couch watching a service, I wasn't with you. And it wasn't as pleasant as it is today. I didn't get to come in the lobby and see your face. I didn't get to talk with you about Christmas or... um, getting together with your family. I didn't get to pray with anyone last, um, anyone from here last Sunday. I didn't get to sing along. If I sang, you wouldn't know it or not, (laughs) because I was in North Carolina. And I could barely tell, other than the song leader, who else was singing. Together is how the church functions, and we need to be together. Online church is only... If you're sick or on vacation, it is not a replacement for week by week. We need to be together as God's people. It's God's plan for us to study God's Word together. This is how we function. It's always, these are God's people as a church called out from from among the world and placed together in a body. And all of the pictures in the New Testament uh, talk about the church being together. So together is how the church functions. So we're going to look at Psalm 119. And this month, uh, the first four Sundays of this month, we're going to look at, explore this theme of God's Word, studying it together. And Psalm 119, you may have not heard a whole message on the whole psalm, so I, I don't think I could do the whole psalm in one week. So I'm going to do it in two weeks. And uh, that's still a lot of verses. So I'm not going to have a lot of comments. I'm going to do a lot of reading from Psalm 119. It's poetry. You'll see, I think there's nine different references, uh, ways, synonyms for the Word of God. And you'll see just about in every section of this psalm that there is one of these uh, synonyms mentioned. Every verse except for one verse in Psalm 119 has a reference to God's Word. And it's probably written by one person who's well-educated. If you want to learn the, the Hebrew alphabet, you look at Psalm 119 and you'll see the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet are the titles uh, of the uh, sections of eight verses. And if you looked at Hebrew of this, it's a very beautifully written psalm because the first verse of all, or the first letter of all the verses one to eight start with the Hebrew letter Aleph. Verses nine through 16, the first letter of every verse in the Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew Bible 
begin with the Hebrew letter Beth, and then continuing on through all 22 letters. So as someone who is highly educated that wrote this, we don't know who it was. It's also someone who wrote this that had much of the Old Testament probably already written. So Moses was highly educated, but he was the first writer, maybe Job, um, of the uh, Old Testament. So probably not Moses because, he, the, because of all the references to God's word and God's commandments and God's statutes and precepts and rules and uh, testimonies. Um, it probably is someone who had access to uh, much of the Old Testament. So someone written, uh, writing this later in the, in the Old Testament time frame. And uh, I heard the, uh, the name Daniel uh, when I, uh, probably 15 years ago. And studying Daniel and studying Psalm 119, it matches very, very well. Uh, it could be Solomon, could be Ezra. Uh, but when I heard Daniel... That's stuck in my mind. I'm not going to say, just like we don't know who wrote Hebrews. We don't know who wrote Psalm 118. Uh, but someone who had access to God's Word. It's also, you'll notice in Psalm 119, a progression of someone's life. And you'll see uh, a looking forward in the first uh, several uh, sections here of, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. You'll see this over and over again. So here is a young man looking and observing life and what we can gather through this whole psalm and why I chose this psalm to, to do these first two weeks is the priority of the Word of God is, is front and center. And why the priority on New Year's Day? Well, every New Year you're going to prioritize your life. You're going to reprioritize your life. You're going to look back at last year and say, Okay, if I wanted to lose 10 pounds and I gained 5, something went wrong. I have to reprioritize what I eat or how much I go to the gym or exercise or whatever. I've got to change something. And you look at your schedule. You look at your calendar. You look at your days off. You look at your free time. You look at your job. You're going to have to reprioritize your life. And New Year's Day is one of those days where you can't get around it. You evaluate 2022, you're looking forward to 2023, and when it comes to your church life together, we want to come around you and we want to encourage one another, provoke you to love and good works by studying God's Word together. So the priority of the Word. If you have been here at church for any number of months or years, you'll notice that we prioritize the Word here. It is a significant part of our service, intentionally so. It's a significant part of Wednesday night Bible study and prayer. It's a significant part, if not all, of Sunday school. And then of our worship, it's at least half, if not more than half, on purpose that we look at God's Word because it is our priority. But if God's Word is not a priority to you personally, you're going to come here week after week, and be uncomfortable. Because here are other people around you who are prioritizing God's Word in their life and their schedule, and you are not. And you feel like, I'm missing something. I don't fit in. Well, we want you to fit in. But more than that, we want you to please God. And a life that pleases God is a life that prioritizes the Word of God. We'll see that. Whoever writes Psalm 119 their life, it is unmistakable, their life was centered, the very center of their life is God's Word, what God says. 
Let's look at Psalm 119, 1 to 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. I'll give you two words for each, of, each section, um, and then we'll move on. The first is observing and planning. Here is a young man who is observing other people's lives and says, what is the common denominator in other people's lives that makes them successful? And here's his conclusion. They walk in God's ways, verse 3. Verse 2, they seek Him with their whole heart. And then this young man says, I want to walk like that. I want to plan my life. And notice the planning here. He says, um, Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. So I'm going to, my life, I want my ways to be steadfast in keeping God's word. Statutes or his rules, his regulations. I want my eyes to be fixed on your commandments, all your commandments. I'm going to praise you. I will praise you with an upright heart. And I'm planning to learn your righteous rules. And I will keep your statutes. Whenever I learn something, I'm going to obey it. Do not utterly forsake me. So this is a prayer. You'll see a lot of prayer language in Psalm 119 as the psalmist talks to God about God's Word and the priority. He is observing other people. He's also planning. And these words, I chose different words for this, but you'll see these themes keep coming back. So I could repeat some of these words like observing in the second section here too but I'm not going to. I, I tried to do my best to give you uh, two other words uh, for each, each section here. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I, will, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word or treasured up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. What is he doing here? How do we know it's a young man? Because he, he says in verse 9, How could a young man keep his way pure? If you're a young man or a young woman today and you look at our culture and say, okay, our culture is not pure. Purity is not a priority in our culture. But how can I be different than my culture? How can I keep my way pure? Oh, by guarding it according to God's Word. So he is seeking God. He's also delighting in God. Verse 11. Uh, we have learned this in King James. Probably I have hit, the word have I hid in my heart. You hide things that are important. You put things in a safe that you want kept. 
that you treasure, your treasures you don't leave laying out on a counter or on the dashboard of your car in a busy city when you park. You hide treasures. And here's the, here's the picture. I have stored up or I've hidden, I've treasured up your word in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. He meditates. Look at verse 14. In the, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. God's word is more important than uh, finances, wealth. And then verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. So here is someone who is seeking God and he's delighting in what he's seeing. His heart is growing toward God. And what is the cause of this? How much he spends time in God's Word. God's Word is a priority for this young man. You continue in verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful, wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. You rebuke, you rebuke the insolent, accursed ones, you wa- who wander from your commandments. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. Even though princes sit plotting against me, your servant will meditate on your statutes. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Where is he looking? Where is he longing? He is longing for God's word. Look at verse 20. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. And your testimonies again are my delight and my counselors. You'll see this idea of keeping God's word over and over again. Look at verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep, that's obey, keep your word. Go down with me uh, to verse uh, 22. Take away from me scorn and contempt, for I have kept your testimonies. God gives us his word. He expects us to observe it, other people's lives, and how their life is prioritizing God's word, planning our days so that we prioritize God's word, seeking God, delighting in God, longing for his word. And then when we do see God, he expects us to obey it. We see his commandments, we see his rules, we see his statutes, we see his precepts, and we obey. We hear his word and we obey his word. Verse 25, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word when I am told, when I, when I told, when I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. There's a young man now who is learning, he's growing, but he's still saying, I will, I will, I'm doing these things. What is he doing in verses 25 to 32? He is clinging to God's word. As his soul clings to the dust, he is hoping in God's word. Look at verse 31, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. 
Let me not be put to shame. And then he is learning. He's learning. He's asking God to graciously, verse 29, graciously teach me your law. If you're ever a teacher and you have a student that says, teacher, I just want to learn what you have to give me. That's going to be your favorite student. You're like, okay, I'm going to teach this young man or this young woman because they want to learn. And when God looks at us, does he see us clinging to his word, longing to learn it? And whatever he teaches us, we obey, we obey, we obey. And then we just can't get enough. Just keep teaching me, God. Teach me your ways. This is the psalmist who prioritizes God's word. And this is what your life and my life can look like as we keep learning. Verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Here, he, instead of him saying what he is doing as much, he is asking God. He's asking God, look at how almost all the, the uh, verses start here. Teach me, give me, lead me, incline my heart. Turn my eyes, confirm to your servant, turn away the reproach. This is someone who's asking God. Asking God and turning away. Turning away from sin. Asking God to incline my heart to your testimonies and not to what? Look, Look at verse 36. Not to selfish gain. Look at verse 37. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. As I was studying for this, there is a chart, I think it's called the Eisenhower Eisenhower Matrix. It's only four things and uh, four sections in this chart. And it has uh, important, unimportant, and urgent, not urgent. And the unimportant things in our life, in our day-to-day schedule that are not urgent are a waste of our time. And if we evaluate our time and we look at how much time we spend on things that are not important and not urgent, we're wasting our lives. God's Word is important. And it's urgent. If we don't think it's urgent, we're about ready to get into the urgency part of this psalm where this young man is not just him and God and his selfish gain and turning his eyes away from worthless things. He's about ready to get attacked over and over and afflicted again and again, where God's word is now the anchor of his soul. And he knows personally, privately, if this is Daniel heading toward Babylon, and maybe he had time while traveling to Babylon to write this wonderful psalm for us. But he knows what he's going to get into. And he's asking God to keep his eyes from looking at worthless things. The world 
is constantly putting worthless things on billboards. Grocery store, magazine covers are full of worthless things. The internet ads on the side of your page are worthless things. Anything that is sinful is worthless. It's not just unimportant, it is destructive. And here is a young man who is growing and learning and prioritizing God's Word. And as he learns and learns God's Word, he realizes the value in God's Word and the worthlessness of much of what the world has to offer. And he's starting to discern between good and evil. He's asking God for help. And he's quick to turn away from worthless things. Verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I shall have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place. For I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and they shall not, and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. What is he doing here in verses 41 to 48? He is trusting God. Trust, and look at verse 41, your salvation. Let your salvation come according to your promise. And he trusts in God's word in verse 42. And the word of truth, he says, don't take that word of truth out of my mouth. So now he's starting to speak. And other people are hearing. And when this young man is opening his mouth, what the people are hearing this young man say is God's truth. It is God's word that they're hearing. And he is able to, in verse 46, speak your testimonies before kings. Now, if, you, if you're thinking Daniel or Ezra the scribe or uh, maybe Jeremiah, they had opportunity to speak before kings. And if you're in Daniel's situation, all the way from Daniel 1 on, he's in a position to give the king counsel. And he does. And as he gives the king counsel, you know what he says in Daniel 2? This answer that I got for your, your dream king wasn't through me, it was God who gave me the answer. He magnifies God in the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, who probably knows nothing about God whenever he first conquers um, the Israelites. So, trusting and speaking. Trusting in God's Word, and as you have learned God's Word, observed other people obeying God's Word, planned to obey, seeking God, delighting in God, longing obeying God's Word, clinging to God's Word, learning God's Word, asking God for help, and turning away from sin, all of this puts you in a, in a place where God can use you and God can use me to speak for Him. This is His plan. As we prioritize God's Word, God's Word changes us from the inside out. We tr start treasuring God's Word. We love God and we love His Word. And then God starts using us to speak and help other people to prioritize God's Word as well. We're more than half done. We're hanging in. All right, verse 49. 
to 56. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. The insolent utterly deride me, but I do not turn away from your law. When I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. The blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. There's some rich, rich text of Scripture here. Now I'm going to change from the two ing words to notice now here's, let's say, a middle-aged person, man, who hit from his youth several decades now his life has been consumed with God's Word. What does his life look like now? And if you were to hear this man speak, and he's telling you Psalm 119, what do we see to be true of this man? He is comforted. He has, if you looked back with me at um, verse 42, he has an answer for those who taunt him. Okay, so there's some taunting starting in verse 42. And now verse uh, 50, 50, it says, uh, in my affliction. And then verse 51, the insolent utterly deride me. And then there's wicked, and he's so angry at the wicked because they forsake God's law. So here is someone who is interacting with a culture that's very wicked. And this culture that is, doesn't like him because he's speaking of God's word. And here is a man, middle-aged now, and you don't see a lot of I wills anymore because this is where he's at in the middle of life, and he is now going to show us the blessing of having prioritized God's life and learned God's ways and God's using him. You're going to see in this, in this man a very different uh, picture than what the world has to offer. The world is longing for comfort, but they're looking in all the wrong places. Where does this man take comfort? When I, verse 52, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. We just sang the power of the cross. We're singing a song about something that happened 2,000 years ago. How many other events that happened that long ago do people sing about today? You know what songs today are about? They're about worthless things. Fleeting pleasures. That's, the, that's almost all of what is popular music and some little ditty that sticks in your brain that you wish you could get out that you can't get out. That's, that's what pop music is. But there's a reason Amazing Grace is still being sung hundreds of years after it was written because it's good. It tells us of ancient truth and that truth is timeless and that truth is powerful. And that truth comforts when people deride you. And that's the truth that we want to know, that we love and we want God to teach us so that we can teach others. And we need to just keep obeying. You'll still see the words delighting and keeping God's word uh, keep coming up over and over again. Verse 57, The Lord is my portion. I promise to keep His to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. 
Hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. Now we have, I'm going to stop here, in verse 63, a companion of all those, of all who fear you. All right, so that makes me think Daniel. Uh, Verse 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. He goes to, what does his life look like in verses 57 to 64? We, We did this in our scripture reading. Here is a man who is very, very stable. You throw this man any type of curveball, any type of um, political or social upheaval, any physical or natural storms, any physical health or financial struggles, or any trials, and you'll what, you know what you'll find of someone who prioritized God's Word over year after year after year? Stability is what you see from someone who is consistently loving and obeying God's Word. He's comforted and he's remembering God's Word, but he's also here in verse 57 to 64, he is stable. He's also discerning. Who are his companions? All those who fear him. So who are not his companions? Those who don't fear God. Can you tell if someone fears God or not? Well, it's pretty obvious in this passage we have seen over and over again, someone who delights in God's word and his ways and prioritizes it, and someone who is willing to do whatever and obey God and turn away from selfish gain and turn away from wickedness and turn away from worthless things and turn away and just just keep me on the path that leads to your steadfast love and your rules and your righteousness, God. This is the godly person, someone who knows they need God and they have prioritized God's word year after year decade after decade. And look at this man's conclusion of how discerning he is when he looks at the earth. He says in verse 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. There are many people who are atheists or agnostic. They look at the earth and they only see science and nature. You're like, what? How can you not see God? Here's how they can't see God. They don't want to see God. It's that simple. God's fingerprints are all over creation. The more powerful our microscopes and telescopes get, the more we'll see that the earth and the universe is full of God's steadfast love. And because it is, we want God to teach us His statutes. There's discernment here that requires time and practice and skill. And this is what God's Word does for us. Look at how this man responds at midnight in verse 62. At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. He's discerning. And even if the cords of the wicked in verse 61 are ensnaring him and he want, they want him to sin, he says, oh no, I'm not forgetting God's law. 
I'm not sinning against God. It's not worth it. He is stable, and he's discerning. Verse 65, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted. This is a mature statement. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. He comes back to that, how valuable God's word is compared to money. The law of God's mouth is better to me than thousands of gold. Notice the affliction here. What does affliction do to this person? Verse 67. He realizes before the affliction came, he went astray. How does he know that he went astray? Because he disobeyed God's word. And now he keeps God's word because the affliction helped him to see that he was going astray. And then when um, the insolent smear him with lies, he is just even more determined with his whole heart, I'm going to keep God's word. And then he comes to the place where he says, it was good for me that I was afflicted. I wouldn't have chosen the affliction, but now that I look back on the affliction, this trial was good. And here's why it was good, so that I might learn your statutes. It helped me to learn God's word better. Here's a middle-aged man who is now confident in God's word, and he's obeying. He's obeying. He's still learning. He's still delighting. He's still, what you see the word there, I keep your precepts. That's the obeying. Look at verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. That's obeying. He's obeying. Verse 73, we've got two more sections. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. Remember, he's a companion of those who fear him back in verse uh, 63. And now it says here, those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. He's influencing other people. Verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. What is he doing here? He is understanding. Look at verse 73. He says, Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. And what he's saying the rest of this section is, he's showing that he is understanding how God's rules and righteousness and faithfulness have influenced him and how God's steadfast love has comforted him. And how God's mercy has come to him and has caused him to delight in God's word even more. 
And when people try to put him to shame in verse 78, um, he, it just causes him to meditate on God's Word even more. And those who are fearing God are turning to Him so that they can learn God's testimonies in verse 79, but also in verse 74, those who fear uh, God also shall see Him and rejoice. And here's what they're rejoicing is, because they're seeing in this man a hope in God's Word. Here is a man who is understanding life. And now he's influencing other people who are fearing God. It's a wonderful place to be when the, God's Word is a priority in our lives. Final section, verse 81. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your Word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke, yet I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? This sounds like lament, right? How long? When will you judge those who persecute me? The insolent have dug pitfalls for me. They do not live according to your law. All your commandments are sure. They persecute me with falsehood. Help me. They have almost made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken your precepts. In your steadfast love, give me life, that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. This is probably the, one of the darkest sections of Psalm 119. Notice how this man really needs comfort in verse 82. He feels like a wineskin in the smoke, or we would say like a piece of plastic in a fire. It's shriveling up. Or how long do I have to endure this persecution? And even in the midst of persecution, where is his focus still at? It's still on God's Word. It's still, I have not forsaken your statutes. I've not forgotten your statutes in verse 83. And in verse uh, 88. In your steadfast love give me life. This is where the good life is in the presence of God and His steadfast love flowing through His Word to His servant who is fearing God and obeying God, and delighting in God, and knowing God. Here's a man who is focused and connecting. Now look at the left side of, this, of these words. Comforted, stable, confident, understanding, and focused. If anyone said these things about you spiritually, that would be a wonderful compliment, wouldn't it be? This is what the priority of God's Word leads us to. It leads us in comfort. It leads us to a stable life. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. It leads us confident. It leads us understanding. It leads us focused. And our final word on the right side of 81 to 88, connecting. Why did I choose that word? He's understanding and, and connecting how the pieces of struggle and promise and God's Word and uh, persecution go together and how he is looking and not forsaking God's word and he expects God to give him life in God's steadfast love and why does he want God to give him life in his steadfast love in verse 88 
So that he can do what? So that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Okay, you keep giving me steadfast love, God, and I'll just keep obeying you. I'll just keep obeying you. There is a man who is focused and he knows how to turn trials into opportunities to cry out to God, to see God work. And as hard as life gets, God does not forsake his people. How do we know God doesn't forsake his people? We have the word. Use the word. If you fill your life with worthless things and you encounter trials, like we're all going to encounter trials this year, and you shrivel, shrivel up in the smoke like plastic in a fire, and you are running toward those worthless things instead of turning from them, you go in the opposite direction. Your priorities are wrong. And this psalm has really challenged me, and I hope it has challenged you up to this point, that God's Word has to be the center of our life. What is feeding your soul more than God's Word? If you spend five minutes a day on God's Word and two hours on YouTube looking at worthless things, When the trials come, you're going to shrivel up. And your solution is to run to more YouTube. Now, you don't have enough worthless things, so you run to more of it. More television shows, more romance novels, more hobbies, more anything. If anything takes you away from God's Word, it could be a worthless thing. And there's nothing wrong with hobbies, and there's nothing wrong with YouTube. We're glad for YouTube. It helps us to get church service to people that are, have to stay at home. But if, you, if, if things in life are taking you away from God's Word, you've got to prioritize your life starting today. So what's the solution to this question? If your answer is yes, or there's something specific, you need to repent. That thing may need to go, or things may need to go. You may need to put a timer on and say, you know what, YouTube only gets 10 minutes, and God's Word gets 30 minutes. And it's going to take discipline. It takes learning. Do you see discipline in this young, in this young man and middle-aged man's life? You absolutely do. And what causes this man to be disciplined and focused and stable and confident is God's Word. He knows it. When the trials come, he runs back to it. He's quoting it. He's speaking it. Other people who fear God are wanting him to be around them because he's a good influence on them. Second question, has anyone close to you noticed how much you focus on the Word of God? Has God's Word taken you away from other lesser joys in 2022? If not, 2023 can be your year where God's word takes you away to a quiet place where you know God. You start connecting your life to stories in the Bible and say, man, my life sounds a lot like Job or Esther or Mordecai 
or whoever else, Moses, or David running for his life, or this psalmist here. It sounds like this. Would anyone close to you notice how much you focus if I asked them? Would they say, my mom or dad is so focused on God's word? My brother or sister knows God's word. Final question. Will you commit to study God's word privately and then in Sunday school publicly with us in 2023? I don't know how to make it easier for you. We have thought about as elders, like how do we encourage our church to study God's word with us? And this is what we came up with. All right, if you've got a better solution, let us know and we'll do that in 2024. But for this year, we're going to study through the New Testament. If one chapter a day is not enough for you, read Matthew 1 to 5 every day and answer the questions and be ready to interact um, as we learn together. And you will see that the living word, Jesus, and the written word are the same same benefits. If this psalmist could have what you have, a New Testament, what, how would he have spoken differently? Unbelievably better what we have compared to what this psalmist had. And still he loved God's word. Still he delighted in it. Still he longed and clung and obeyed. And nothing could take his focus off of God's word. That's where we need to be in 2023. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for our weaknesses. Thank you for the trials that you've given us in 2022. Thank you for the affliction that has caused us to realize that we don't have the answers. We don't have this. We're not all set. We need you more than ever. We just haven't realized it before. I pray for those who are atheists, agnostic, and far from you. They don't fear you. I pray this would be the year where faith would come by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. I pray for those Christians here who have not prioritized God's Word and have given all kinds of excuses to you and you're not pleased. You see that in their lives. You know that they are far from you and you want them near because you love them. And in your steadfast love, reach out to them and show them. Give them understanding. I pray for the young people here. I would ask their parents or their godly um, friends that they have here at church how they can prioritize your word. And I pray that we as a church would grow closer together through your word and only through your word this year because of that you would strengthen this body and use us to speak to those who are wicked around us those who are consumed with worthless things those who are giving their whole life to worthless things i pray that you would open their eyes draw them to yourself and use our our focus on your word Use us to speak for you. In Jesus' name we pray.